kicking it with Kendrick. Mm. We love that acting. You're kicking it with Kendrick, but not that Kendrick. Nah, nah. You're kicking it with Kendrick. Yeah, Twilight gets it. Woo. You're kicking it with Kendrick. Pitch perfect singing. Oh, yeah, she's on the go. How many actors got that glow? Singing and acting, I don't know. Not even Leo's got that flow. Musicals and movies more. All the talents out the door. We're seeing what she's got in store. Yeah, and it's time to stop the show. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Kicking It With Kendrick. I'm one of your hosts, Pierre, and I am joined as always by my lovely co-host, Jeff. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing great, Pierre. How about yourself? That's nice. Uh, well, I watched two Trolls movies in one day, so... Um, <laughs> not that that's a necessarily a terrible thing, but... I mean, maybe not to get too much ahead of myself here, but I liked these movies a lot more than I thought I would. Mm, that That is fair. I, I think these... Movies do have like a worse reputation than they deserve, mm-hmm. but yeah, they they are surprisingly decent, I guess. Which is, I I feel like a lot of DreamWorks movies are that way, and some are very very good. So, anyways, this is actually kind of in an interesting spot in our Anna Kendrick filmography because like the trolls, she's only been in a couple of animated movies. The trolls ones being the highest profile ones, mm-hmm. but these are also kind of musicals. So they kind of fit in both categories, which I don't know. I feel like there's not a lot of movies that we fit into a bunch of different in, into many categories here. Yeah, I, I guess not. Trolls is definitely a, a unique movie. <laughs> I don't <laughs> say that it's a it's yet another musical, and I guess it's different in that. I mean, actually, no, it's similar to Pitch Perfect in that it's a lot of covers. Well, some original songs, lots of covers, which was kind of I think the main focus of the Trolls movies was appealing to kids through basic cover songs of pop music yeah trolls is very close to being just a jukebox musical which is like what a musical that uses only covers but it's not entirely Mm -hmm. and i think that's maybe what i think is kind of the weakest aspect of these movies is that there are some original songs but kind of seems like there's no rhyme or reason to why there's original songs and why some songs are covers like i mean it it appeals to kids ultimately that's the main goal here but i feel like in my opinion i always prefer if it's like the whole musical is just covers or the whole musical is just originals and i kind of don't like it when it's wishy-washy in between except in some instances like pitch perfect where the only original song they had while i hated it the point was it was an original song. Like the fact that it was an original song actually played into the into the story in some way. Yeah, I, I don't always... Well, actually, honestly, sometimes I can't even tell when one of the songs is original. But the couple times I did notice... I guess it, they don't... They are pretty catchy, but they don't really, like, stick out in any way either. I don't know how to say it. There was There was one that I thought really stuck out and then there's another one that I think is just a nice little catchy song, but it's basically just a Justin Timberlake song. Mm. That's the main song from this, is the the Justin Timberlake song that... Can't Stop the Feeling, right? That's the one. Yeah. That's the main song. I like that song, but like that's not the one that I think really sticks out as original. The one that I think really sticks out as original is actually Anna Kendrick's first solo number in this. And like, 
I swear it's for more of a reason than that I just like Anna Kendrick, but that's definitely a good part of it. I think that that one really sticks out because early on into this movie, and uh, before I get too far ahead of myself, I will talk about what this movie's about in a second. Early on into this movie, Anna Kendrick's character, Poppy, sets out on an adventure. And when she sets out on that adventure, she like has a montage where she's walking around and like going away from home. And that's all set to music, which is an original song. And it's describing, I mean, it's like, it's a montage song. In any musical, like if that musical involves going on an adventure, you would have a montage song where you like describe going on that adventure. And that's what this is here. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's anything special necessarily, but in the context of this movie, it is because this movie has so few original songs that the ones that are there kind of need to have a purpose. And that's the only one that does. Yeah, I guess. Well, you can kind of tell with that one too. There's there's some musical or instrumental breaks yeah. for like cinematography reasons, I guess. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a hint because uh, it was like made for the movie, I guess. Um, but before we get too into the weeds, Pierre, do you want to describe what this movie's about? And I will probably jump in and describe what this movie's about afterwards because weirdly enough, this is a movie with some level of... Uh, highly interpretive. Some- some level of interpretation. I'm not even kidding. So from what I can tell, it's a movie about trolls that live underground and they're hunted by, I can't remember what they're called, but they're like big goblins. The Bergen. The Bergen, who, who eat them. He, they eat them on the trollstice, but then one year the trolls run away underground and they are not found until 20 years later when they are partying too hard. They are discovered by a random Bergen. Well, not a random Bergen, but a Bergen and and some are uh, brought to the new king who are the new trollstice and Poppy who is the daughter of the queen or the king must try to go save them because she feels bad for partying too hard yeah that's basically it I think I like that that's how you described it because I'm going to describe it very differently cool <laughs> this is a movie about the cruel mechanisms of capitalism and the people in power who perpetuate those mechanisms. So in this movie, uh, the Bergen are told that they can never feel happiness. And indeed, they have a pretty miserable existence. Like, we mostly see them being miserable and just having a bad time. However, they are told that they can experience happiness by eating trolls. And so that's why they eat trolls on the trollstice. And the person who tells them this is a villainous person named the chef who like she get makes all of her money by being the world's best troll chef. She cooks trolls into and she has like whole recipe books and everything. That's her entire personality. It's why she's a celebrity. And like she basically rules the Bergen, even though she's not the king or the queen because she has such an iron grasp on them due to her being the only person that can properly cook these trolls. And so the trolls escape and the Bergen really want these trolls back because they are under the impression that they cannot feel happiness unless they eat trolls. So like the chef goes out and finds the trolls again and captures them. And then when she has them, she uses that the influence that she gets by having these trolls to reassert her dominance and basically win back the kingdom. So like 
the entire plot of this movie exists only because of the nefarious capitalist who has found a way to just sort of have all of her society believe that happiness does not exist except through her food. Because what I find really interesting about this movie is, and it's the reason I keep saying the Bergen are told they cannot experience happiness. One of the first things we see is a little Bergen child being really, really excited for the trollstice and so happy and just like jumping up and down without having ever eaten a troll. So clearly happiness is a thing that's not out of gra- that's not like far out of reach for them. They just don't have a word for it, which I find fascinating. And that's really what I wanted to get. And that's what I'm going to talk about a lot with both of these movies. The world building in these movies is incredible. The actual plot and how the movie plays out is fairly standard, nothing special, but the world building is so cool. Cause like, there's so much more to this than just, you know, Poppy goes on a quest to save her friends. That's what it all is on its face. But like, there's so much underlying this story. It's just so cool to me. Yeah. Well, I will say like the typical, I must go save my friends plot felt very cliche at the start, but Trolls 1 does get into a lot of surprisingly deep themes, I guess. Like, I wouldn't say they are necessarily tackled in like an extremely tough way, but like they're there and they're interesting. Yeah. A lot of the villains end up being very relatable, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. Honestly, it sounds a lot like a Christmas movie in a way when you say it like that. Because it's like, oh, to be happy on Christmas, you need things. And it's like, no, yeah. you don't need things. You need each other. Yeah, and like the stuff to me that's really interesting about the first movie is the character of the chef and how she just has this iron grip on the Bergen. But as you said, I don't think that's tackled maybe as thoroughly as it could be. I don't know about necessarily as well, because I think where it comes up, it is dealt with pretty well. It's it's fairly subtle. It, I mean, it's subtle enough that as a kid, you're not going to come out of this being like, oh, I understand that that was a movie that is telling me that false advertising and capitalism are bad. Like, not everyone's going to come away with that message. It's subtle enough, but I think it's done pretty well. And I think that, like, I guess it could be done more thoroughly, but I don't think it's really the point. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot more of these themes, like, it does go through themes of, like, you know, more standard ones, like believing in yourself and accepting people for who they are, etc., in ways that I don't necessarily see done all the time. Like there's a big plot line of this where Zoe Deschanel's character, who's one of the standouts for me, she is in love with the Bergen King, but she's just a scullery maid. So like in order to save her friends, Poppy gets all of the trolls together to give Zoe Deschanel's character a makeover so that she can get a date with the King. And that's how they're going to save the world, which like, it's not often that you get a movie where, where one makeover can save the world. And like, it doesn't save the world in this either, which I guess is a little bit of a spoiler, but like, that's not even a plot point in, you know, a more, in a more standard, less silly hero's journey. Yeah. It definitely went in like a very unexpected direction, I guess, but I really liked that direction. I thought it brought a lot of life to the movie and that's when the themes really hit a lot harder, you know? 
so that was really cool. I, I did like the the whole the, the trolls were the hair like giving her hair type thing. I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Um, the trolls' powers in general, not the powers, but like their use of hair. At least in the first one, was like really cool, mm-hmm. and it made a lot more sense in the second one. Just like having these powers, not explained, but just like used in interesting ways. I don't know. I like that. Yeah, trolls have superpowers in this, but with hair. Mm-hmm. I like that. So yeah, it's it's a pretty solid movie. Uh, I kind of like the songs too. I thought the covers were solid. Um, I actually didn't know that Justin Timberlake's song was made for this movie. Yeah, I think it was. Really it was. Cool. I mean, I don't know if it was. He may have written it before, but it it debuted in this movie, so it was eligible for Oscars. It may have actually won one. Oh, cool! I didn't know that. I don't remember for sure. Maybe. Even though, like, I guess the Anna Kendrick... I've never heard the Anna Kendrick version before, so I guess she was removed from the final cut. Um, well, she I wasn't think. on the single, for sure, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which was unfortunate, but... Anyways, uh, what did you think of the voice acting? The voice acting was pretty good. I thought that... I mean, this had a stacked cast, but, like, I don't know that it was necessarily... It, it wasn't as stacked as it could have been, which I guess is good. It had a lot of... It had a lot of known names, but, like, I think the biggest ones were Justin Timberlake, uh, Zoe Deschanel, and Anna Kendrick. James Corden is in this. I just don't like him. <laughs> Russell Brand was pretty funny in this. This was a time when Russell Brand was actually in... He was in a few movies. He was in a weird number of animated movies mm. during this time. Because he was also in Despicable Me. Mm. He had a pretty easy role. He could have filmed this in like like a day or something. I actually like James Corden a lot. I'm not going to lie. This is probably the only role I've actually enjoyed him in. Him and his little buddy. What's his name? I don't remember, but I really like his little buddy because it's this little, like, worm. It's, I think it is technically a troll, which we'll get into a little more. But, like, <laughs> but his little worm buddy is, like, It's like M- Mr. Then... Something. But, yeah, he was, I thought that that combo was really cute, actually. I was, honestly, okay, I have a Mr. tough Dinkles. time. Mr. Binkles? Dinkles. Mr. Dinkles, Mr. Dinkles. They were really cute. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't love, oh man, this is another one. Justin Timberlake was like a little, I mean, he. I think he did a solid job. I just, I, I don't know why hearing Justin Timberlake and stuff kind of makes me, the problem is I know he's a great actor, but it, it kind of kills me to see him like, like performing in roles like these, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying because Justin Timberlake's role in this was really anyone could have done this Mm -hmm. it was really just like poppy is an optimistic troll who always looks on the bright side justin timberlake's character whose name is branch is the opposite of that and that's it that's his whole character is he's supposed to be pessimistic and he's a grouch yeah and like i thought there were some funny things like he won't sing because singing killed his mom, which is hilarious. His grandma. Oh, his grandma, which that is like... That doesn't make it better. <laughs> but... It's really funny. Yeah. But like, yeah, it doesn't... It's funny because it's cliche and self-aware, but having one self-aware cliche doesn't make the character good. And like, yeah. honestly, even having one self-aware cliche doesn't even make the cliche good. I just think it, in this case works as being funny it just doesn't fix a lot like it's it's just justin timberlake doing a grouch i mean and like it's it not was special. really dark like it was like a really dark 
story for like a ran in a random point in the movie. I mean, I guess it was the end of the second act, but like it was just like oddly, oddly dark. Like, no, I don't think anyone actually dies in these movies except for the grandma, maybe. What exactly did happen? Like he was singing and something just came and ate her or something like that? Well, yeah, Bergen, I think, picked her up from a tree because she when she was protecting him. And I'm guessing ate her eventually. Oh, okay. I guess Russell Brand's character technically might die at the end. I don't know. but He doesn't come back in the second one. He so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was oddly dark and it was like, it was short and then there was kind of a comedic relief moment right after which was also very confusing it was interesting but i did like his arc i guess i liked his arc of regaining his color and like learning to be friends with other people again i think he's also but he's also constantly like chat on i felt so bad for him when he had this bunker that he's been working on for probably like 10 years or something and then the princess is just like all right, we're just going to rate all your food, even though you've been warning us about this for years and have all your work go to go to nothing. And he's totally okay with that for some reason. Like, well, that's a really dick move. He really wasn't okay with it. He just can't fight a hundred trolls. That's also true, yeah. Unfortunate for him. But yeah, he had a cute arc. I think Poppy... I, I think she has some interesting moments. I don't know if I would say... And I think Anna Kendrick does actually bring some charisma to kind of bring her character to life. Mm-hmm. She's not the strongest protagonist, I guess. I think she. I think her role in the second one was definitely better than the first one. I think that between the first and the second, like she is a good protagonist for both. She's differing levels of strong in either, but like I, I really liked her as a protagonist, and and I liked that her journey in the first one and the second one are similar but also different because in her first one like i think her basically her point is that she's naive about the world and she has to like learn about the world basically because she goes Mm -hmm. outside of her little troll place and it's a good device especially in the first one that she's always like telling these little felt stories because it does make it so that when we're learning about the past Technically, we're learning about the past as she's teaching about the past. So it's not like it's fully unreliable. It's not intended to be unreliable. But Mm -hmm. it comes across like if something in the world ends up not making sense. Well, it's because when we were given the world building, it's coming from Poppy as she understands it. So there's that wiggle room there. Yeah. And then, yeah, her learning about the world is also... That that's actually exactly why I like um, the idea and also kind of why I concluded that the point isn't that Bergens can't experience happiness without eating trolls. It's that they've been told they can't because Poppy keeps telling us in no uncertain terms that like they cannot experience happiness unless they eat a troll. However, you have to keep in mind that Poppy, in this case, is the one that wrote the history book. She doesn't actually know that. Like, no one actually knows that. Because the Mm -hmm. whole point is that, you know, they've just been told that. And so, when at the end, it turns out that, when at the end, part of the resolution of the whole movie is that, in fact, they can feel happiness. It's like, oh, that doesn't contradict what we learned earlier, because it was kind of an unreliable narrator. 
I'm not gonna lie though, I did love the scrapbook parts. I think that I was a really yeah. that was a really cool recurring element, and I think added a lot to the aesthetic of the character, but then also like the world. Well, these movies are also really pretty, and that's like a good part of it too. Mm-hmm, yeah, honestly, I'm kind of surprised they made the Bergen so like honestly kind of disturbing to look at. It sometimes like. They are not. Oh, I, oh man, I hate saying this. It sounds kind of mean, but they're not pretty creatures to look at. If I'm gonna be honest, and they're very, they're very drab. The colors are kind of gross and muddled. I was impressed to see it in a kids' movie. I guess I thought it was really strange that the two main characters, the two main Bergen, are supposed to be between eighteen and twenty-ish years old, and mm-hmm. like they were both child-sized, which I know because we see the main Bergen, the king, as a child, and like. He looks the when same. He, 20 years later, he looks exactly the same. Yeah, Not I thought that was a weird choice. Maybe that was to appeal to kids more. I don't know. The conflict that the king and um, the scullery maid go through, Bridget, their, their like main story arc is a very preteen or early teenager story arc because it's literally, it's literally just like mm. a high school romance. And so... It certainly, I guess, would make sense if even in their appearance, they're trying to appeal to kids more there. But like, it was a weird choice. Not necessarily yeah. a bad one, just a strange one. Yeah, that's fair. Overall, I think like it's a really, it's a, it's a surprisingly good movie. I feel like I've been complimenting a lot, but like, honestly, like, like in terms of character arcs and, and like general plot, it is very straightforward. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it's it's not it's not also not trying to become be anything more than I guess it, it was initially envisioned to be, if that makes sense. Um mm-hmm. it's just supposed to be kind of a catchy movie, catchy, easy watch. It does remind me a lot of Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect I also surprisingly liked, but also like wasn't very deep at all and was relatively cliche. I think that um I think I agree with you there with like not even really one caveat, just I think that both this movie and Pitch Perfect are deep in ways that aren't obvious and, like, are just sort of weird. Because, like, with this movie, all of the depth of this movie is not related in any way, shape, or form to the messages, to the messaging of the movie or the plot. It's just in the world building, which is got so much weird stuff going for it, but they don't explore it that much. Like they only explore it as much as they need to for the purposes of the plot. And realistically, or I don't know if they should have explored it more, Mm -hmm. but like there is actually interesting stuff going on here. It's just barely part of the movie. Mm -hmm. And with Pitch Perfect, well, no, I, I don't know if it's exactly the same with Pitch Perfect, but I do think that like some of the things that we noticed and talked about at length in Pitch Perfect weren't, necessarily the things that you're supposed to come out of pitch perfect talking at length about but like i don't mean that in a bad way yeah so yeah i think it's a it's a really good comparison to pitch perfect i think Mm -hmm. at least the first one yeah and in just a minute let's talk about the second one we'll uh we'll just go to a break real quick and come back and talk about trolls world tour
Hey there. If you're listening to this podcast ad, first off, you've got great taste in the podcast. Kudos to you. But secondly, you probably like movies, watching them, thinking about them, analyzing them, and reviewing them. And while the tales we see on the big screen do merit discussion, I think that's only half the story. Why do we see so many sequels instead of original films? What determines which films get sequels in the first place? Is there more to the directors making a big hullabaloo about seeing their films in theaters than on streaming? And beyond the obvious social good, why is making more diverse films important? The answer to all these questions and more can be found on my podcast, The Box Office Watch, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. For better or worse, Hollywood is the business, and which films are profitable and which aren't uh, determines what kind of films get greenlit and which ones don't. Each week, I go over the box office charts to understand which films are on that path to profitability and which ones aren't, as well as to understand any major headlines in the movie industry that might affect those bottom lines. I help you understand industry terms like exhibitor splits, multipliers, and per theater averages. And honestly, the story of how a film grew wings and flew at the box office or fumbled around and flopped can sometimes be more engrossing than the actual story on screen, in my opinion. Box Office Watch can be found on all major podcast stores, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe, and I hope to catch you there. And remember, our watch goes on. Welcome back for part two of our Trolls review, I guess, and in this case, this is the second Trolls movie we're going to be talking about, Trolls World Tour. Jeff, does this name sound familiar to you in any way? Yeah. You know what? This is the first time, I think, that we've talked about a movie at length, like devoted an entire episode or part of an episode to a movie that we've already talked about on this show because we talked about Trolls World Tour early into the pandemic, actually. Yeah, we did. It was one of the first movies to come out. I think or one of the first movies to make the commitment to a, a partially movie slash VOD release, right? Or theater slash VOD yeah. release. Yeah, I can't remember if this movie even came out in theaters. I think it did, it, but I think it came out in theaters, like right after it came out in theaters, theaters stopped being open. Yeah. So this one went straight to video on demand, more or less. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time, it was a huge deal because like, Universal was committing to doing this and like kind of pulling the rug out from under the like movie theater chains, which I think AMC at one point said, we will never show another Universal movie again, which is obviously not true. Mm -hmm. But theater chains were really pissed off about Trolls World Tour not being in theaters. Who would have thought (laughs) Trolls World Tour would be the one to start (laughs) it? It was interesting, though, because Universal was the first to do it. And in the last episode that we talked about Trolls World Tour, we also talked about Scoob because Scoob was the first Warner Brothers movie to do it. And like they announced that Scoob was going to be coming out on VOD, I think, a week after Trolls World Tour did. Yeah. So it was this whole big thing where, yeah, out of nowhere, all of these movies are just suddenly going on VOD and movie Mm -hmm. theaters which were closed at the time, remember? We're like, what the heck, guys? You're not going to bring Trolls World Tour to the theater when it when theaters open back up in, you know, two months times seven? Yeah. As a consumer and, like, just a movie watcher, I was like, 
well, I really hope that the movie theaters die because like, what the hell guys, this is like, we're in the middle of a pandemic and you're saying, no, no, no. We need people to come to our movie theaters to watch these movies. They don't care about instead of watching them at home where they, you know, don't have to make extra time to get all of their kids into the car to come to the movie theater. I remember, especially at the time, like, I think I've made no secret of it. I'm not a huge fan of the industry of movie theaters, not necessarily the film industry, not necessarily movie theaters, but I think that the movie theater industry is pretty exploitative and like not a very good industry, but it's also completely supported by how much movie theater or the film industry thinks they need movie theaters. Mm -hmm. And so I was very happy about Universal being like, no, nah, actually we don't need you guys and just going straight to VOD. I don't think that that's necessarily, you know, the way to do things, but I thought it was a step in the right direction. And I probably talked about that a lot on our last episode, but before I risk completely tanking my street cred among people who like movie theaters here. Pierre, what were your thoughts on on the movie theater industry dying last year? I well, I was personally worried that movie theaters, like the industry would completely change because of it. Especially after like, well I guess Disney when they were releasing like movies, they released a couple but Pixar movies last year just purely for free, mm -hmm. which was like a huge that was like a big like, oh wow, they really want to push streaming now. Yeah. Um, because Pixar movies aren't like, you know, random movies you throw away and they all for the most part have made a decent chunk of money, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a really big move. So and it showed a lot of commitment. But I guess we're at a point now where I guess I'm happy that it seems like it's sort of found a middle ground again because I, I think there maybe we might see less. I mean, this was already coming, but there's going to be a lot less like middle of the ground like budget movies, if that makes sense. Like we're either going to see lots of small movies in theaters and lots of very big movies that are guaranteed to make a lot of money, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. um, because those are the only ones that would make sense to put on in theaters to make more money, right? Uh, the right. middle of the road blockbusters are definitely feel like they're going to start going on streaming. And when we say when I say middle of the road blockbusters, honestly, trolls might be kind of one of them <laughs> to use as an example because it's you know it's not a huge huge property, and but it's not small enough that it doesn't get attention for people to watch streaming. I actually don't know if I would um, consider trolls a great example of that mm. because. You know, you you were just saying like for Disney, Pixar isn't just a movie you throw away. Which, phrasing or not, you're right. It's not a movie you would expect to go straight to streaming, right? Yeah. And that's any Pixar movie. I feel like at least for a time, DreamWorks was in that same boat. How to Train Your Dragon, for example, that wasn't a small movie. It wasn't a Pixar movie, but it wasn't a small movie or even a middle of the road movie. Like that was big. And I would say That's similar fair. things with like Kung Fu Panda, etc. I don't know about Trolls, but when the first one came out, to some degree, it was definitely being marketed on being a DreamWorks animation movie. Mm. And like, I think that even comes across in the beginning of the movie where the Trolls acapella sing the Shrek song. Wait, they did? No. Yeah. 
Yeah, at the very, very beginning when the DreamWorks logo is going through is going by. Oh. They sing the Shrek theme song, a cappella. Are you talking about like the the musical like da na na da na na? Oh, I thought you meant All Star for a sec. I was like, no, 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 not All Star. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess. I, I guess I, I I'm not sure how big Trolls is and the because I'm guessing it also sells a lot in terms of like the soundtrack and also like toys as well. I'm guessing <laughs> yeah, yeah toys. So it is. You're right. It, it is kind of maybe a different case. But yeah, as we stand right now, it seems like movie theaters are kind of in the same spot. They were slowly getting to the same spot they were before in a lot of ways. The biggest fallout from the whole Trolls debacle when it happened is that I believe... So there's a thing called... I don't remember exactly what it's called. We have a buddy. You just heard an ad for him, if you're listening. Uh, Our buddy Paolo runs a show called Box Office Watch. And originally, I had really wanted him to be on this episode, but it's also two movies and like the scheduling would not have worked out. It was going to be way too short notice, mm. but he runs a show called box office watch where he talks about the movie industry, like the movie industry and you know, which movies made money at the box office, which ones didn't, etc. I'd really like to hear him talk about this because the main thing to come out of the whole trolls debacle was that the movie theater release window or something like that is shortened to, I believe, 45 days for Mm -hmm. Universal and Warner Brothers and stuff, which means that like, let's just say for the sake of argument, this is actually wrong whenever you guys are hearing this, but it doesn't matter because you don't know when we recorded this. For the (laughs) sake of argument, Encanto comes out this Friday. Normally, like pre-2020, you wouldn't be able to see Encanto on DVD for probably about three months. Now, after Trolls, you could realistically expect to see it probably about a month and a half. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a little bit different with every studio. And so I am talking out of my ass a little bit here. But like Universal's specifically used to have a very long window. And now it's a very short window. And like all of those windows were shortened across the board so we are seeing movies just in general come to video on demand much quicker or dvd much quicker than they used to yeah that that is a really big change and i think it'll i mean there's already so many because there were i think there already is especially now there's a there is a big oversaturation so i actually don't know how much that affects that'll affect the gross of movies if that makes sense Mm -hmm. because yeah like trolls you might get like a the release window of Trolls being the, the biggest movie is maybe one or two weeks max now, um, especially now, you know. Um, mm. So it feels like a, there's a new blockbuster out almost every week at this point. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, I we haven't talked about Trolls 2 at all. Yeah, do we uh, want to talk about the movie? Yeah, yeah. It's it's also a... I, it has a lot of the same strengths as Troll 1, I, Trolls 1, I guess. And also a very much surprisingly adult theme. There was lots of Almost world. I feel like there were references to World War II in it. I mean, that's maybe a stretch, but you know, you want to tell us a bit about what Trolls Two is about? Trolls World World Tour. I may have to defer to you because I actually watched these out oh, of yeah, order. Sorry. I watched these out of order, so Trolls Two is less fresh in my mind. But I'll, I'll do my best. Sure. The first thing that I was really shocked about, because again, I watched these out of order. Trolls Two has almost nothing to do with Trolls One. Not nothing. They are related, 
but it's very little. So Trolls 2 is a Trolls World Tour. I don't think the Bergen are in this like at all. This is just about various Trolls societies. There's eight different Trolls societies, all based around one genre of music. You got techno trolls, you got jazz trolls, you got rock trolls, you got pop trolls. And Poppy, Anna Kendrick's character, she is one of the pop trolls. And that's what we've been following until now. So earlier in the first movie, the Bergen were after trolls. In the second movie, we learned that the Bergen were actually after pop trolls, if they distinguished at all, because the only trolls they ever interacted with were the pop trolls. In Trolls World Tour, the rock trolls, I think it's the rock trolls, start to make a big power grab to collect the eight sacred strings or something so that they can put on the ultimate concert and control all the trolls. Something or something like that. And so they're going around to conquer all the different troll societies and get their strings. And that's what this is about. I think early on, do they manage to steal the pop trolls string and then Poppy has to go after them? Or is she like, or did they steal one of her friends and she has to go after them? The setup is very similar to the first one. Um, I believe it's just Poppy is trying to go around looking for the rock trolls with her string because she believes they just want to have fun party before she starts realizing that they are destroying (laughs) troll civilizations. Right. This is where her character growth comes out again is like in the first one, she was naive, but she was like optimistic. And so she had to learn to use her ingenuity and also what she can learn about the world to prove that she can be a good queen. And then in this one, she like kind of has to learn to be less naive. It's like a delayed character arc. You would have expected, or I would have expected, like she has to become more knowledgeable about the world to be the character arc from the first movie, but it's actually in the second movie, really. Yeah. I mentioned earlier, I like, Poppy's arc a lot more in the second one. I this one actually did feel mature, where a lot of talk about how Poppy wants to be a great queen, but she's having trouble listening to people. And I did like that a lot. I thought that was interesting because it's something I kind of noticed in the first one. And I had like when I said earlier that Poppy just kind of breaks into Branch's bunker and basically lets everyone steal all this stuff without really caring about the repercussions on him. We see this, it's reflected more as an issue in this movie, and she kind of has to move, learn past that and deal with her own ego, if that makes sense. Yeah, because in the first one, it's not that there weren't consequences for Branch. It's just that her breaking into his bunker and setting all the trolls loose, one, it was played for laughs, but two, the consequences for Branch were that Branch now has to help Poppy. So like and potentially risk death. Risk death. Sorry. Well, and potentially risk death, but like the consequences for everyone of Poppy's actions in the first one always end up being in her favor, whether they are good consequences or not, actually. Where mm-hmm. in the second one, she is kind of punished a little more for not listening to people. Yeah, she loses her friends, I guess. Even though in the end she still wins. <laughs> I mean In the end, she still wins, but she doesn't just win. She actually does have to grow as a person a little bit. That's true, yeah, exactly. So I I did like that arc, and I thought it made Poppy a much more interesting protagonist. I think it also made Branch's character 
a little more interesting too because we saw him struggling with his feelings for Poppy while also realizing how different they are, which also reflects on the general themes of the movie, which is the can people that like different music <laughs> truly get along together? Which is honestly, like, it sounds really stupid, but it's it's a surprisingly mature theme because it is also a commentary on you know racism and like uh, mm-hmm. homopho- homophobia and stuff like that. And it's not very subtle about it, but it, it's it is still very good. A lot of kids' movies have the basic message of like, even though we are all different, we can get along, and like that's a great message. But I think that too often or not necessarily too often, but it's an easy message to sort of get wrong. And what I mean by get it wrong is like a lot of kids movies, like Zootopia, for example. Zootopia, the main groups are predators and prey. And the point of Zootopia is we can all get along. But if you examine that metaphor just a little bit, you have a group that eats other people and a group that exists only to be eaten. Like... (laughs) I understand that the intention is good, but the metaphor you're using doesn't work. Where in in Trolls, especially with this world building, you can really get that message across a lot more effectively with just like, really the only difference between all these trolls is that they listen to different music. But because they listen to different music and because of the world building, that has given them completely different cultures but at a base level, they're not actually different. So like, I think this is a much more effective metaphor for, you know, racism and homophobia, etc. Because you look at this metaphor, and no matter how much you examine it, the hard rock trolls are not fundamentally different from the pop trolls. And the pop mm. trolls are not fundamentally different from the funk trolls. The only difference they have is that they listen to different music and they're, and because of the world building, also have different cultures. Mm-hmm. But, like, at no point do you have, like, I think, as much as I hate to say this, I think X-Men is another place where this kind of commentary is attempted, but fails a little bit, or at least fails a little bit just by default. There's very, very good X-Men stories, so I don't want to say this about every X-Men story, because I think X-Men is, like, X-Men has some of the best written versions of this message in like comic books, but also the problem that you're facing there, the uphill battle is you have one group of people that are humans that cannot do anything like Mm -hmm. anything special. They're humans. And then you have one group of people where like their main spokesman can shoot metal claws out of his fist and kill people with them, and he cannot die. And it's like, one of these people is clearly more advantaged in the world than the other one bodily. So, like, if he is disadvantaged socially, the reason for that is that, like, people are scared of him, and they have a reason to be scared of Wolverine. Where in this one, you know, if someone is scared of one of the hard rock trolls... There's actually nothing fundamentally different about the hard rock trolls than any other troll. Sorry, yeah. that was. I, I think I maybe over-explained that. No, it's like, true. I, and I they, really do think that this that trolls does this metaphor really well. Yeah, well, it's also part of the themes too because they talk the whole the pop trolls are actually the one that 
were the ones that destroyed the harmony in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were reflecting on, like you said earlier, the, the biased version of history. So it, it shows that even <laughs> it's not only the rock trolls, but also all trolls are kind of have the need to push their own music, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it is, it is surprisingly deep. The themes, I think they could have been handled differently in terms of the climax. I thought the climax of the movie was a little disappointing and felt a little easy. Yeah. Especially compared to the first one, which I thought the climax was pretty good with the whole, they save everyone, but they're going to turn back to save their friend and teach everyone true happiness. Uh, I thought that was more mm-hmm. effective, but, um, I definitely think there were more interesting things here in terms of animation and world building again, like. I think they just took it up to another level. I thought the animation in terms of like reflecting how, because it was weird how I think the world in the first one was maybe a little more grounded, mm-hmm. whereas this one had more, it, it felt like like a Lego world, if that, like the world in the Lego movie where everything's kind of yeah. made out of cloth. I noticed this little thing where even like there's a scene by the water and coming out of the water, you see like these square pieces of fabric. I think that represent like, the white part of the water when it washes up i don't know it, it was very detailed and honestly especially with the way they took that style and applied it to so many different characters but then also adapted that style for each of the different regions was really really well done mm-hmm. and honestly really impressive and in terms of like pure creativity it, it rivals like pixar uh in terms of pure world building if not even better in a lot of cases so oh absolutely like, Lots of respect for that, for sure. And, like, just real quick on the point of the visuals, this is, like, one of DreamWorks' prettiest movies. I think it gets... It does not get the attention it deserves for being just, like, a really, really gorgeous movie. Mm-hmm. At least, like, the world of it. Yeah. Especially, like, comparing the first to the second in terms of just pure animation quality, like, being able to... The lighting and, like, even, like, the fur particles on, like, each of the trolls to make them look more stuffed was really cool. Yeah, I I, th- I thought it was cool just seeing how they advance and they really put work into that. Mm-hmm. So I guess I only got uh, two more questions left on this. If sure. uh, All right. So in terms of the movies we've watched, where would you put this so far? Like you can you can treat both of the Trolls, Trolls. movies as one movie. I think I would put them above Pitch Perfect at this point. Maybe under I don't know what were the top ones again. I <laughs> I'm trying to remember because there's so many now. I know it's like below like the police one for sure. What else End do of we watch. Have? End of watch. There was Scott Pilgrim, which I know was really high for me, but I think you also had it pretty high. I had it relatively high. I'd say Scott Pilgrim's above these as well. But these are definitely, I guess, surprisingly upper tier for for movies. Because what would you give them as a number? I'd say I'd give them probably both a about a six. I'd say yeah, maybe six, think, maybe six point five for the second one. Yeah, I I agree. I think I'd give them like a strong six. Like the story doesn't exactly rise above every other kids movie in such a way that I feel like it deserves way more than that. Mm. But these are like way better than the trash I originally expected when I first heard about trolls back in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. These are, these are actually, I I don't think they're, I don't think I would say these are like among my favorite DreamWorks movies, but even in terms of DreamWorks movies, I would put them in the upper tiers, not like 
the mm-hmm. highest tier, but I'd still put them up there. Yeah. They hey, they made James Gordon likable to me. So honestly, that deserves a lot of respect. <laughs> That's really impressive. In all honesty, yeah. Yeah. I would probably put these together. I would probably put them just below the first pitch perfect. Uh, which is pretty high for me, which I think means that Trolls comes out as like number three or four. So like these would be below the first Pitch Perfect and above the first Twilight, I would put them. Thank God you said above Twilight. (laughs) I really like Twilight. Okay. Uh, I cannot say the same. In terms of Anna Kendrick performances, where do you think this? Uh, where do you think this falls? Um, I actually also say this is an upper tier one. I thought I think Poppy. First of all, I like how for once I think Anna Kendrick was given a more purely charismatic character to play. If that makes sense, I feel like mm-hmm. she's given the straight man role a lot, and they rely on her kind of relatable charm. If that makes sense, um, where in this movie she is shoved more up front she's more spontaneous and exciting and is given like a leader role whereas and i liked her in it i thought her singing was good and all that so i'd say this is probably a little under pitch perfect but i can't think of any other role i liked her more in if that makes sense i think it's kind of interesting that you say that because like yeah so far what we've seen anna kendrick is given more of a straight man role in this one she very much is not she gets to be the eccentric where justin timberlake is the straight man And I haven't seen every Justin Timberlake movie, but the Justin Timberlake performances I am most familiar with, he's the wacky one. Not Mm -hmm. in these movies, though. So I think it's kind of interesting that we have that dual role reversal. Yeah, and I I think it worked for the most part. I I, I do wish Justin Timberlake was kind of given more to work with, but Mm -hmm. I think Anna Kendrick, especially in the second one, was given a shot to shine, and she really, I guess, took it, which is surprising to say that for like an animated movie, if that makes sense. But yeah. she really did shine through despite not being seen on screen. Yeah, I think in terms of Anna Kendrick performances, I actually don't know exactly where I'd put it, but I think I'd actually probably put it above the first Pitch Perfect in terms of like Anna Kendrick performances. And it really mm. is just because like Pitch Perfect was more of an ensemble. This one was like, this is the Anna Kendrick show. And it was very good for that. Yeah. And it worked well. Good job, Anna Kendrick. We're actually going to go backwards next week because we got to talk about the first animated movie that Anna Kendrick was in. Paranorman. So get ready for our Halloween episode. Two months. Is that that the stop motion one? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Nice. So, such a diverse filmography. 